Hello everyone, I'm Deborah, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. These days, almost anyone you meet can talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed their lives for the worse. Salary cuts or a total loss of income, separation from friends and family, and long periods of isolation. It's no surprise that this pandemic has taken a toll on our mental health. But there are some groups who are not only more systematically vulnerable to mental illness, but have also suffered from a far more brutal experience than others. From heightened xenophobic sentiment to being raided by the authorities during a nationwide lockdown and facing threats on social media, the refugee community in Malaysia have been forced to endure all of the same hardships as Malaysian citizens, plus an additional set of hardships stemming from their refugee status. Refugee mental health already received little attention or resources before the pandemic hit, so what kind of repercussions has COVID-19 had on this marginalized community? In this episode, I speak to Matilda Xavier, clinical psychologist, and Bo Min Naing, president of the Rohingya Society in Malaysia. We look at the stigma around mental health in the refugee community, how they have been coping with it during the pandemic, and how some communities are affected more than others. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just $1 a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. So good morning to both of you. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. Um, how are you both doing? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, me too, I'm fine. So welcome to the show, Matilda and Bo. Thank you for joining me today. Let's start with some introductions. Matilda, you're a clinical psychologist and part of the work you do focuses on working with refugees and trafficking victims. Can you tell us more about your work with these marginalized communities and what influenced you to take this on? Uh, thank you for having me on, Deborah. Um, do you want to know what influenced me? I actually started off as a volunteer with uh, MSF, Doctors Without Borders, and we started working with the communities uh, in the uh, the communities, uh, refugee communities around the Klang Valley, uh, right up to Sermenye and Lenging. We also went to detention centers. And so on, uh, in 2005, that's a long time ago, and I learned a lot as a volunteer, so I decided to go and do my master's, and then uh, when MSF, that, that chapter of MSF left, ACTS asked me to join them, so I have been continuing with my work with them once a week. And, and what does ATS stand for? ACTS, as in X a call to serve. This is an NGO which has been working with refugees for the longest time. They actually were established in 2003 and we have been working with refugees for so long. We have mobile clinics, we have a static clinic in Brickfields. Previously, uh, okay, we still do, now we can't. We used to visit all the detention centers uh, for medical as well as mental health services. We used to visit the communities before our static clinic was established. 
all over in the jungles as well as within the urban areas to provide medical as well as mental health services. Right. So it sounds like, you know, you actually had outreach pre-pandemic. Um, oh, a long and, time ago before itself. Right. And so now during the pandemic, how do you get in touch with people who need your services and who pays for them? Okay. Uh, our static clinic is still open. So those who need medical uh, care, they will still come to our clinic either with a doctor's letter when it's necessary, you know, because of police and all that, MCO and all that. Uh, for those who are not able to come because of security purposes, we do our sessions over the phone. We do have clients coming in for face-to-face -face sessions, but we also, because for their safety, we do the sessions over the phone because right. of the pandemic mm -hmm. and also for security purposes. And are your services free or low cost? Free, except for medical. Medical, they just pay a little bit for the medication, but for mental health, our services are free. Excellent. That's great to hear. And Bo, we're really glad to have you join us on the show. You are the president of the Rohingya Society in Malaysia. How long have you been in that role and what does it entail? Yeah, I was in that role since uh, 2016. But before that, in 2015, I was Secretary General of Rohingya Society in Malaysia. Then again, uh, I was uh, uh, elected as Rohingya uh, president of Rohingya Society in Malaysia. But uh, actually, our uh, Rohingya Society in Malaysia, it was established in 2010. So since then, we are, you know, uh, working for the Rohingya refugees here. So for those who are registered with UNHCR, on also unregistered uh, uh, people. But uh, yeah, uh, we are doing this since uh, 2010. Actually, as uh, my role is president, actually, uh, we closely work with UNHCR and also other UNHCR partner NGOs. So we also have partner NGOs, so such as this ACDS also, our partner NGOs. So their clinic is also partner. So since long time ago, we have been working, you know, together with, actually we give the service, uh, you know, services for the, you know, Rohingya refugees here. So we have uh, one shelter for, uh, you know, for the survivor of sexual gender-based violence. Like if uh, some women, they face, you know, domestic violence or other sexual harassments or, uh, you know, other things, then we give them also the shelter. So uh, we uh, closely work with, uh, you know, Joannex here and also NGOs. And we also have a healthcare shelter. So uh, in the healthcare shelter, that is, uh, you know, that this healthcare shelter is for the uh, uh, male, you know, uh, for the men. And the other, you know, transitional home is uh, for LGBT survivors, that is for, you know, women. So we give, you know, these all services uh, free of charge. So we also do, sometimes we also do vocational training and also English classes, computer classes, uh, the, you know, cooperating with NGOs uh, uh, in, in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a very multifaceted role. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has stretched on now for over a year and a half. The fear, isolation, 
and financial stresses have affected people globally and unsurprisingly have taken a toll on people's mental health. Matilda, what can you tell us about your general observations on the situation in Malaysia? Has there been an increase in um, people seeking help for their mental health? Uh, you're talking in general, right? Not yes. just the refugee. Yes. I think the statistics say that the number of calls to all these uh, hotlines, you know, care lines has actually increased because people are worried. People are lonely. People have lost their jobs. People have become very anxious about their situation. This already adds on. Isolation, physical isolation also adds on to your mental uh, problems. So there is definitely an increase. And who do you see as, you know, groups or demographics who are at risk for, you know, this increased stress during this time? Uh, people who have lost their jobs, people who have got psychological problems or mental illnesses where their support system is greatly reduced, okay? People who have financial difficulties, people who are isolated from their family and friends, they are at a greater risk. Of course, it's the B40 and some from the M40 are also affected compared to the, what's the other one? T20. Yeah, I suppose they're not that uh, affected except for the isolation. Yeah, so the B40 and M40 that uh, Matilda's referring to are the bottom 40 and middle 40 in Malaysia who make up the working class and, and middle class in Malaysia. So yes, I I think that, yeah, it's a very... Um, obviously, class plays a big role in, in how people experience the mental health effects of the pandemic. And, you know, I think that leads quite well into my next point. Um, Marginalized and isolated communities are really experiencing an additional layer of pressure and stress on top of the usual stresses associated with COVID-19. And refugees in particular have been experiencing heightened xenophobic sentiment. You know, they've, they've been experiencing raids by the authorities and facing threats on social media. All of this on top of dealing with an ongoing health and economic crisis. But Rohingya refugees in particular have been the target of such attacks during this time. How have you and your community been com- coping with the, everything so far? Since, uh, you know, COVID-19, you know, uh, started and also, you know, since the lockdown last year, you know, people are struggling for, you know, and also they are suffering a lot. You know, I mean, they're, you know, refugee community, especially the Rohingya refugees. But last year, you know, it was more, you know, effect uh, to the Rohingya refugee community. But uh, however, you know, this year again, you know, some people, they could walk, you know, before this lockdown. But, uh, uh, you know, last year people suffer a lot, uh, you know, they have, you know, financial difficulties and also in other sectors also, they have also some difficulties. So mostly, you know, some uh, pregnant women, you know, they uh, those are unregistered. so they you know their their family also face uh, difficulties but uh, you know in the community we try our best you know to assist them so uh, because UNSCO office is also closed also but uh, UNSCO you know some officers they're working in the office but the office is not you know open for the refugees because they don't allow the refugees to come in that's why it's a bit you know hard for registration so then 
father to add you know the wife in in the family so we do some referral we did some referral so we have been doing the referrals uh, since last year you know lockdown for the pregnant women so we especially uh, you know do the referral for those pregnant women who are uh, who are pregnant in eight months like nine months or uh, who will be admitted uh, you know to hospital soon or who are in the hospital until now and also we also do some referral for those you know uh, uh, sick people like uh, those needs you know uh, hospital admission you know uh, uh, for their uh, for their treatment we also do some referral but since last year you know in last year we need to refer you know uh, a lot of cases uh, uh, for the you know food distribution actually we don't have fun to distribute the foods but uh, you know we also refer the uh, you know the cases to our close uh, you know uh, partner NGOs and also UNX here. So last year, you know, some people survived, uh, you know, anyway. But uh, some people were evicted because they couldn't pay the house rental for few months, like three to four months. They couldn't pay the house rental, and uh, also uh, people uh, they were you know some refugees families they were evicted from their house. But this year again, or you know, uh, at the first few months. Uh, they could, you know, walk, some refugees could walk, and also they try to, you know, do the best, you know, to maintain their life. But again, you know, the MCO started that because, you know, the cases, COVID cases are, you know, increasing. So then, you know, everyone in the country, even the Malaysians and refugees and migrant communities, they are uh, struggling, you know, uh, all are struggling in, the, in, the, in, in Malaysia, who are living in Malaysia. But uh, Rohingyas are more because uh, uh, at this time, you know, they are not able to walk. They are not able to go to work. So, however, they get some depression and also, uh, but since last year, some Rohingya, they have got some experience that uh, they can ask, you know, help from NGO or UNXIA. So, uh, some are, you know, contact to UNXIA or NGO. Some contacts to us, and, but we don't have budget, you know, to assist them. However, from our side, we refer the cases to other NGOs who can assist them. And and these referrals are for their mental health support? Is that the kind of referrals you're doing? I, I know earlier you said that you were referring people for, you know, physical health, like pregnancy or, you know, physical illnesses. But are you also making a lot of referrals for mental health support? On mental health support, we have some serious issue, like uh, the patient is too serious. Then we refer the cases to, you know, we uh, advise them to go to HCI. Uh, so HCI based in also Brickfield, so near ACTS, I think. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, they, they give the, you know, uh, some medical services for mental health. So we advise them to go to HCI, sometimes uh, from our side also we refer a few cases to HA if they are very serious. And and have people been coming to you with, you know, expressing their despair or their sadness over the job losses and financial troubles that they're experiencing because of the pandemic? Yes, yeah, some people are in trouble. Uh, you know, they need the financial assistance. As I explained to you, uh, some people, they were evicted uh, from the house last year. So this year also, they cannot give yeah, two, three months rental again. So. Uh, as uh, the house owner, you know, landlords are Malaysian, they also need money. But uh, however, you know, 
some of the you know landlords are understand to them so uh, you know some people they negotiate with the, the landlord some other people they ask financial assistance from ngo and unexia but unexia also you know cannot give you know assistance to all refugees so they also uh, need to uh, select some people who are very vulnerable and they assist uh, they do some uh, they give some financial assistance uh, to those who are very vulnerable vulnerable yeah mm-hmm. And how is the community supporting themselves during this time? We're experiencing another lockdown right now. Uh, but last year, the community, you know, our community leader across Malaysia, you know, they get assistance, they ask assistance from NGOs and cooperating with NGOs and, you know, distribute the foods in, the, in uh, you know, many areas. Last year, we already, we could assist, you know, 6,000 Rohingya families, like we, we refer, you know, to the NGOs. So like Masi, Malaysia, Emirates, MRA, and also uh, Buddhist Switchy and also other NGOs. So, uh, you know, some other NGOs, they are still, uh, you know, supporting. So uh, last year we did that. And also in the community, uh, you know, ourselves, yeah, those people who have, you know, who are financially strong, they also give some donation, you know, in the community and community itself assist each other. Yeah. That's good to hear. I'm glad that there is a strong community cooperation. Um, Matilda, you work closely with refugees on their mental health. Um, what trends have you noticed since the start of the pandemic? Uh, okay, there's a lot of depression and anxiety because a lot of people, basic needs are not met. They have no money. Despite so many NGOs providing food aid, sometimes it's not enough because even refugees are, stra- I mean, sorry, even NGOs are stretched thin. So people worry about the babies not being able to get the milk. People worry about whether there's enough food for their children, paying the rent, like what uh, Boomin Young said. They have no money. That is one. The other is a fear. You know what has been happening lately, right? In Malaysia, they are rounding up all the uh, illegal immigrants. Refugees are actually not recognized in Malaysia. They are actually considered illegal immigrants in Malaysia. So the safety comes into play. A lot of the refugees we have today do not have a UN card because it takes at least two to three years before they can actually get a UN card. And now with the MCO, I mean, the MCO has been going on for one and a half years. Uh, UNHCR, they had to close down some of their departments. They opened sporadically. So it takes even longer for them. So if you do not have a UN card, you're not registered as a refugee or even an asylum seeker, you are at risk of being arrested and being thrown into detention centers. Remember, some time ago, UNHCR was not even allowed to go into the detention centers to register the people. So that adds another layer of fear to them. And of course, it makes their mental health even worse. And even with a UNHCR card, I believe, it's you are still vulnerable to detention. You are. Because the thing is, like I said, they are not recognized as refugees. Malaysia doesn't recognize refugee status. So if they want to charge them as illegal immigrants, they can. Right. Mm. So what conditions are refugees commonly diagnosed with? 
the majority of people have got depression and anxiety disorders. Uh, we also have those who come from war-torn countries. We have those who suffer from PTSD. Right. Sometimes we do have people who have got psychosis. And uh, yes, as you mentioned, people have arrived here with trauma from their previous countries. And I can only imagine what's the effect of experiencing existing mental health issues and then finding yourself in a pandemic where you're isolated and experiencing financial stress? Well, it's not just that they have experienced uh, trauma in their home country. Their expectations when they come to Malaysia and then they find out that they are treated like, you know, it adds on. So it's not just the pandemic. These problems have been going on even before the pandemic started. It has actually worsened with the pandemic because now people are making comments on social media about refugees, asylum seekers, and making them feel even more unwanted than before. Yes, that's a good point, that it has always been here, this problem of xenophobia towards migrant communities and refugee communities. Uh, Do you find that there are certain refugee communities who are more vulnerable than others um, for mental health issues? Yes. There are, some commun- there are some refugees who actually are very community-based. So the community takes care of them. Like in some communities, they even have like first-line mental health services. So like very basic kind of counseling they are able to provide. So that is helpful. Some communities, they are a little bit more guarded. They are suspicious of their own fellow men because of what they have gone through in their own countries. So they tend to be more vulnerable towards this. Some, uh, those from, let's say, if you want to call it B40, in their own countries, they tend to be a little bit more resilient than people who had a good life in their own country. And then when they come to Malaysia and then they become nobodies, it's actually a whole change. You have to change your mindset. So those people can be more vulnerable. So those who have got strong community support, they're slightly better off. Bo, are there services like that in the Rohingya community where there is perhaps peer-to-peer counselling? Um, peer counselling, actually, uh, some NGOs, you know, they give the peer counselling. So if some uh, uh, some of the refugees, you know, if they need peer counselling, the NGO, you know, we can refer to the NGOs uh, because we don't have the expert, you know, to do the peer counselling. Right. Okay. And there have been reports about a rise in suicides among the refugee and undocumented community. Amnesty International also mentioned this in a statement recently about migrants and asylum seekers. What kind of effect has this had on the community? Yeah, uh, you know, since, um, uh, you know, the condition is a bit, you know, bad. So people's, uh, you know, people got, you know, depression. and. Nowadays, you know, many Rohingyas, you know, in Malaysia, I mean, those who are registered with VNX here, they are requesting for a third country resettlement. So uh, they have only the way, you know, to be resettled to a third country. So, but it's impossible for VNX here also to resettle all the refugees, you know, at once, you know, to a third country. So because um, it just depends on the third country also how they welcome the refugees and how uh, how many, you know, refugees uh, they will they will welcome in, in a year. 
Yes, it must be very difficult to be stuck in this limbo. This is a question um, for both of you. What kind of support does the government provide to refugees in this area? Do they have access to the same support Malaysians have, if any? Uh, no, it's a bit different. So, I mean, those have UNICEF cards, only they get uh, 50% discount at the government hospital. Uh, Matilda, do you know of other, besides that discount at government hospitals, uh, do have, you know? Okay, they have the 50% discount, like what uh, Min Yang said, uh, from the expat rate, but government hospitals, they have to pay. Right. Less than what other expatriates will do, but they still have to pay. Right. And that can still obviously be very prohibitive. Yep. What kind of resources are available from other organizations out there for mental health support for refugees? Okay, mental health, there are a number of but uh, centers that uh, NGOs that actually provide like ACTS, AGI, Mercy Malaysia runs the QIRD, the Qatar Foundation uh, QFID, Qatar Foundation Clinic. Then there is Imarat. Then there is Suchi. They all have got mental health services free. Okay, so there there is actually outside of the government systems. Oh, there's also MSF in Penang. And they also have mental health support for refugees? Yes. Okay. And Matilda, for those of us who live or work in the same vicinity as refugees, what does a cry for help look like? What are things that we should be paying attention to? Uh, if you do live in the same area, the same, uh, I mean, apartment blocks or whatever, uh, where the refugees live, You've already heard the kind of comments that people make about their neighbors who are refugees. So, awareness that these are also human beings who are actually going through problems, acceptance, that will help a lot towards their mental health. Um, accepting people instead of, you know, the xenophobia, that can help. We also have refugees all around us, those who work in the restaurants and all that. Till today, people don't seem to be aware that a lot of the staff in the ref in restaurants are actually uh, asylum seekers and refugees. So being accepting of them and treating them as fellow human beings would be good. Yes, I think unfortunately in Malaysia, you know, the bar is so low right now. But um, yeah, I think, you know, combating some of the xenophobia in Malaysia is probably a good starting point for those of us outside of the refugee community. And also don't make use of them. I mean, if you are going to pay uh, proper wages to Malaysians, then do not cheat the refugees and pay them, you know, a minimal rate. Oh, I wouldn't even say minimal. Do not uh, pay them such a low rate that they can't even survive. Don't take advantage. Yeah, it sounds like especially now, you know, survival is really tied in with mental health. Yes. Right. So it, would you say that ensuring that refugees have their basic rights taken care of, like food and shelter, would go a long way towards also improving mental health? Yes. The thing is, all this while, they took care of their own basic needs. They try. They're willing to work in the 4D, the 3D uh 
jobs and all in order to survive. But now it's because it's so difficult. So that's why. And so this is a question for both of you. Um, is there a stigma surrounding conversations on mental health in your community, um, Bo? Are, they, are people open to having these discussions about mental health? Because, uh, you know, here, most of the people, they don't know that is, you know, concerned to mental health. They are only, you know, expressing their suffering. So uh, only, you know, uh, you know, some of the people, they understand, you know, uh, what's their feeling. So that's why. Uh, yeah, uh, because, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they don't know because they are, you know, in a very difficult condition and they don't know themselves, you know, they are suffering something, uh, you know, what they are only saying, you know, to us, you know, to get financial assistance or to get food because they need the basic need at first. So, uh, you know, the basic things, you know, to for their surviving. So that's why, because we don't have also, you know, uh, uh, that much, you know, facility and also, uh, you know, to assist, you know, all the refugees, because we are also struggling as, a, as an organization, because we don't get the, uh, you know, uh, donation, uh, we don't have budget, so we cannot, you know, assist, you know, uh, all the people. So only we can assist those who are very vulnerable. So uh, if they need it, so if they have any strong, you know, uh, medical recommendation or something, then we can consider to assist them as much as we can. And Matilda, how have the people you've met and treated responded? Were they comfortable with having these conversations? Okay, it's very interesting when it comes to refugees, they themselves are actually, uh, they themselves want to receive mental health services. They know counseling or psychotherapy uh, because they find it very helpful. There's someone who is listening to them unconditionally. There's someone who, with whom they can pour out all the problems. Someone who can talk to them, who is not experiencing the same problem because if they were to go and tell their friends, I'm feeling like this, like this, the friend will say, we are also in the same boat, don't complain, right? Mm -hmm. So they, those who come to see us, they are very open to receiving help. But at the same time, they are also afraid that other people will know that they are receiving help because the other people in the community might assume that they are crazy and stay away from them. You know, people like to gossip. So there still is a lot of stigma surrounding so the stigma is about uh, letting people know, but the stigma is not so much about avoiding mental health services. Yeah, only uh, some survivors, like uh, AGV survivors, if they want like counseling, uh, mm -hmm. we can you know refer to you know some NGOs who are doing for these services, and mm -hmm. they give some counseling also. Mm -hmm. And and do you find both that people in your community, you know? they may not understand that seeking counseling, um, you know, as, as Matilda said, they might, might think that someone who's going for counseling is crazy. Is that that perception there? Yeah, most of them, they don't know. So, uh, uh, you know, some NGOs, those give, you know, counseling, they also give some awareness in the community. So we also tell them if, uh, you know, you need some counseling, you can, because uh, recently, I think uh, we saw some, 
you know, news and on social media and also some advertisement like if they need counseling, they can contact to this number, this number. So th those are free counseling. So we also uh, give such kind of message to, in the community. If they need some counseling, they can contact to those numbers uh, like this. Yeah. And, and most of them, they don't know. Yeah, most of them, they don't know. Right. And what is something the Malaysian government could do immediately to reduce the incidence of mental illness among refugees in the country? If uh, government also, uh, you know, uh, closely together with, you know, the NGOs who are working for refugees, I mean, and uh, all NGOs, they don't have mental health services. So only few NGOs, they have, uh, as a, uh, you know, I mentioned before, only few NGOs, uh, you know, they are doing these services. So if, uh, you know, they, if they also get government cooperation with them, I think that would be uh, a bit, you know, better. Do you have thoughts about that, Matilda? What's something that you think could immediately reduce the incidence of mental illness among refugees in the country? Well, in the short term is maybe they should go stop threatening to arrest all illegal immigrants. In the long term, they should maybe give some recognition to refugees. You know, some time ago, government was more lenient. They were willing to allow the refugees with uh, UN cards to work in the odd jobs and uh, so on. But now it has reached a stage where all refugees are so scared that they're going to be arrested whether they have a card or not because of the threat of the COVID and the vaccination and because they also live in very crowded situations. So that doesn't help when the government is always talking about, you know, arresting uh, illegal immigrants and so on. A lot of the refugees don't have UN card, so they are still considered uh, illegal immigrants. Right. And I can only imagine that that kind of fear and uncertainty is, is wrecking havoc on people's uh, well-being. Um, so thank you both for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, before we cap this interview, do you have a final message you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say that mental health services, <clears throat> mental health is very important for refugees as well as other Malaysians. So it's time we start treating people with more compassion. Doesn't matter who they are. Yeah, I want all the refugees, you know, to be safe and also, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, we, I also want to give the message to my Rohingya community, you know, Rohingya refugees and also those who are un unregistered, you know, not to go, you know, out outside, you know, uh, if they don't have anything to do. So uh, because uh, this time is a bit, you know, critical if they got arrested. So they will be, I mean, unregistered people, they will be, you know, in detention for a long time since, you know, UNS is not able to, you know, visit uh, the, the detention center. So it's a bit difficult, you know, for them, uh, you know, to release them. That's why. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you, uh, Matilda. Thank you, Bo, for speaking to me. Um, it's It's been very insightful for me. And uh, yeah. It's my pleasure. And thank you for yeah. having us on. Yeah. Me on. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Matilda and Bo for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah, wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!